Krishna Sahita Krishna Chaitanya Devam Shri Radha Krishna Padam Sahagana Lalita Shri Vishakam Vitamscha Panchakalpachi Vishaki Krishna Vyavachalpati Tanam Pavanadio Vaishnavayu Namorama Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya That's December 5th, 2022, Hillsborough, North Carolina, reading from Srimad Bhagavatam, Canto 10, Chapter 41, Text 2. Sopi Chantaritam Diksha Sopi Chantaritam Diksha Jaladun Majjasatvadaha Kritvachavasya Kamsarvam Vismito Raktam Agamat Saha He, Akura Api Indeed, Cha and Antaritam disappeared, Viksha seen, Jalat from the water, Ummajya emerging, Satvaraha quickly, Kritva performing, Cha and Avasyakam. His prescribed duties, sarvam, all, vishmitaha, surprise, ratam, to the chariot, agamat, went. BBT translation. When Akura saw the vision disappear, he came out of the water and quickly finished his various ritual duties. He then returned to the chariot astonished. And what Srila Prabhupada says in Krishna book is after the Vishnu Murti disappeared, Akura got out of the water. Finishing the rest of his ritualistic performance, he went near the chariot of Balaram and Krishna and was struck with wonder. So something that I just want to note, I'm not going to be focusing on that, but I want to note it, is this uh, Vishnu this wonder. And in Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu, Rupa Goswami says that wonder, which is one of the seven secondary rasas, is always present whenever there's any variety of love. So that one of the main components of love is a feeling of wonder. And the example is given that if you love somebody, every little thing they do is wonderful. Right? I, I've given this example many times. I was giving a class once in the can't remember whether it was Sao Paulo or Rio. And there was this woman who had a, a little baby, one-month-old baby. And my entire class, she's holding the baby and counting the baby's toes for the whole class. <laughs> so, you know, baby's toes are baby's toes. I mean, how are they really interesting enough for 45 minutes of your attention? But if you love your baby, then each one of their toes is wonderful. And if you don't love someone, then even the wonderful things they do, you, you discount it. Isn't it a fact, right? So Acharyas give this example, that one of the main... It's always present, that wonder, awe, not awe and reverential, but just like a wow factor is always present whenever there's love. 
Okay, I want to turn to the, uh, there's no BBT purport. I want to turn to the purport of Jiva Goswami, which is almost identical to Sanatana Goswami's commentary, and Vishnu Chakravati Thakur has a very short commentary. So I'm just going to read Jiva Goswami's. Apicha indicates all that he had previously seen. Seeing that it had all disappeared, he came out of the water and completed his midday rites, such as worship of the Lord using water, etc. Vishnu Purana says, Archayam asha sarvesham dupa pushpa mano mayahi. And this is the key word, mano mayahi. He worshipped the Lord mentally with incense and flowers. This means he offered water to represent the various offerings. So like every, every day when I do my puja uh, to Govardhan Chalagram, I do the 16 upachars, but I don't have all of them physically. Like I don't make special argya and madhuparka. I just, and I certainly don't make clothes for them. I mean, Giriraj is so small, he can't even have like a turban. So I offer water, and I say the mantra for those things. You all follow? Idam argyam, but I'm not really giving them argyam, I'm really just giving them water. Or when I give them clothes, idam vastram, I'm just giving them a flower. You all understand? So this is what Akura was doing, because there he had just come out of the water. He didn't have incense and flowers handy, I suppose. So he was doing this mentally and just offering what? So pichantar hitam viksya jalad satvara kritvachav asyakam sarvam vishmito raktam agamat. When Akura saw the vision disappear, he came out of the water and quickly finished his various ritual duties. He then returned to the chariot astonished. Hmm. So I'm wondering, I still haven't figured out what order, so I'm going to ask all of you. Should I first go over the result of meditation and then Prabhupada's instructions on it? Or should I first do Prabhupada's instructions on it and then the result? First Prabhupada's instructions. So let's look at uh, what is the value of being meditative. This is the difference, even if you have the real thing. You know, even if you have scented gardenias, and even if you have made up the argya and maduparka, it's a different combination of liquids, and even if you have beautiful silk decorated cloth, and even if you have wonderful offerings of food, even if you have the real thing, one is supposed to be meditative while one is making an offering. In fact, one is supposed to be meditative while we do any item of devotional service. When we're in kirtan, when we're chanting japa, when we're chanting gayatri, when we're taking care of the deities, when we're cleaning the floor, when we're painting the deck, when we're going out shopping. Where does Prabhupada say that about going out shopping and being meditative? Anybody know the verse in Bhagavad Gita? It's in purport. Does anybody know where? really good one. Yes. Whatever you do, whatever you eat, do it as an offering. But somebody might take that as external. 
okay, Krishna, I'm doing this for you, and not be actually like meditative. Where does Prabhupada talk about being meditative? Okay, Bhagavad Gita 12.2. The Supreme Personality of God had said, those who fix their minds on my personal form and are always engaged in worshipping me with great and transcendental faith are considered by me to be the most purport. And Srila Prabhupada in this purport writes, for one in such Krishna consciousness, there are no material activities. A pure devotee is constantly engaged. Sometimes he chants, sometimes he hears or reads books about Krishna, or sometimes he cooks for Sodom or goes to the marketplace to purchase something for Krishna, or sometimes he washes the temple or the dishes. Whatever he does, he does not let a single moment pass without devoting his activities to Krishna. Such action is in full... Anybody know? Samadhi. Samadhi. Well, that's weird. We think about Samadhi, and we think about Shamaka Rishi, who was in deep Samadhi, and when Mars Brickett came in and said, give me water, I'm sure he said it something like that. Did he hear? Did Shamakarishi hear? Brickett? Didn't even hear him. How are you going to go to the marketplace in Samadhi? It'd be kind of dangerous. Right? Imagine driving your car in Samadhi. You would crash. How are you going to pick out the fruits and veggies at the market if you're in Samadhi? You wouldn't even see them. What is Prabhupada talking about here? But we're supposed to have this absorption. If we do Krishna consciousness mechanically, we will never advance to an Arjunavritti. It won't happen. What's one of your favorite quotes, Maharaj? The devotional services performed with a subtle body. Subtle. Yes? I've heard you quote that dozens, if not hundreds of times. You know, religion has a bad rap in the world because the majority of people in religious organizations remain as prakritta bhaktas. They remain as materialistic persons. Their level of purification is small. Isn't this a fact? And this is the main, quali- this is the main criticism that religion doesn't work. But that's because the majority of religious practitioners stay on a mechanical platform. Either they just give lip service to the religion and they just show up for church on Christmas and Easter, or they just come on Janmastami, or even if they're following strictly, they're doing it as something mechanical, like a vending machine. You know, you punch in something and you put in your money and you get out a can of soda. And they forget that it's about a personal relationship between me as a person and God as a person. That means it's done not just with the body, right? When Rupa Goswami says, Shilanam, it's the activities. It's not just done with the body. It's also done with the mind, with the heart. It's done with the thinking, feeling, and willing. And... This is what we call, and I'm going to read a quote from Prabhupada in a moment, this is what we call attentive. So in Madhurya Kadambani, Vishwanath Chakravati Thakur discusses the different kinds of impediments in our spiritual life. Some are from past sinful activities. That's like we get sleepy when we're chanting. 
we're distracted. Those are the impediments that come from past sinful activities and the increasing predilection to sin. Then we have obstacles from past pious activities. That's like being attached to liberation or being attached to heavenly pleasures, wanting, you know, nice food and beautiful gardens and beautiful music. And then there's, interestingly enough, an obstacle that comes from bhakti. After you do bhakti for a while, people will show you respect and you could get attached to that. Then there's the obstacles from offenses. Offenses against the deity, like walking in the temple with shoes, offenses to the dumb. And all of these offenses can be, and all of these obstacles can be eliminated by chanting the holy name. But then there's offenses against the holy name. How are we going to get rid of those? And Bhakti Vinod, Vishnu Chakravati Thakur, says by chanting attentively. But this is true not only for chanting, it's true for everything. It's not that I should chant attentively and I should cook inattentively, or I should chant attentively and I should shop inattentively, or I should chant attentively and I should, you know, paint the deck inattentively. Everything we're doing is meant to be done with attention. Now, why does that remove all of our obstacles? Because when we're giving attention, then we're actually in the presence of the Lord. And the Lord is like sunshine that illuminates everything. In the Bhagavad Gita, that's what Krishna does. He illuminates. He says, here I am. We just had this Bhagavad Gita recitation. You know, here I am as a universal form, and here I am as your supreme friend. Here I am as a super soul. Here I am everywhere, even in the world, in the sunshine, in the moonshine, in your intelligence. And here's Maya. Here's the three modes of nature. Here's lust, anger, greed, illusion. Now look, Krishna's saying, look at me, look at Maya. And then at the end of Bhagavad Gita, Krishna says, now, you decide. decide. That's one Indian man, he told me. Oh, Mataji, I I always follow Krishna's instructions in the Bhagavad Gita. Oh, really? What's that? He said, Krishna says, now you do whatever you like, and that's what I do all the time. (laughs) But Krishna's saying, Here's me, the absolute truth, and here's illusion. Choose. There's no form of yoga that's going to be some automatic process without our choosing. You know, no doctor is going to come into your house at midnight and anesthetize you and remove your cancerous tumor. You know, you have to notice that you have some kind of growth and you have to voluntarily go to the doctor and you have to say, please remove my tumor. So an artinavritti is like that. We have to choose. But we can only choose if we see clearly what the choices are. Prabhupada said to see the naked form of maya. And in order to do that, we have to be attentive. We have to be meditative. Now, meditation can mean that you just sit down and you just meditate, but it can, it can be a waking, walking meditation with everything that we do. So I want to I'll first quote from Srila Prabhupada's instructions on what is attentive chanting of Hare Krishna. So this is from a lecture in Geneva, on Bhagavatam 113.10 in 1974. The Hare Krishna mantra chanting means keeping Krishna always within your heart. This is not, it is not expensive at all. 
You haven't got to make a very exalted throne for Krishna. You can imagine. What was that word Prabhupada said? Imagine. What was that verb again? Imagine. Imagine. Please capture that. You can imagine that in my heart I have placed now a very diamond throne and Krishna is sitting. That is accepted. It is. Actually it becomes. Even within the mind you think, I have kept one diamond throne, very costly throne. Because Krishna is coming. He will sit down here. That is not false. That is a fact. Is that interesting? Mm-hmm. Prabhupada said you can imagine. And then he says that is not false. That is a fact. So you create such situation within your heart. Now Krishna has seated. Let me wash his feet with the Ganges water, Yamuna water. Now change his dress to a first class costly garments. Then I decorate with ornaments. Then I give him for eating. You can simply think of this. This is meditation. It is so nice thing. Anyway, you can sit down and think that Krishna is sitting in your heart and you are receiving in so nice way. They are not false. They are also fact. It is so easy. So here is the, if you simply carry Krishna within your heart always in a very devotional service, exalted devotional service, and chant Hare Krishna and think of Krishna everywhere you go, you will purify the place. And again, I want to remind you, the beginning of this quote was the Hare Krishna mantra chanting means like this. Okay, let's look at one more. This is from San Francisco, 1967. As soon as you chant Hare Krishna, immediately you remember Krishna, Krishna's form, Krishna's fighting. Krishna is sitting on the chariot of Arjuna. If you read Krishna book always, some of his pastimes will immediately come, appear in my brain immediately as soon as you chant Hare Krishna. That is required, smaranam, automatically, as soon as you chant Hare Krishna. If you mechanically chant thinking of something nonsense, then it will be useless. And then Prabhupada has a long pause. Then he says, it will take time. (laughs) But if there is immediate remembrance of Krishna, we are hearing about Krishna, so many things, reading about Krishna, why not remembrance? That means inattention. That means deficient in Krishna consciousness. We should immediately, as soon as we chant Hare Krishna, immediately, at least we should remember the picture. Remember, this is 1967. That Krishna is so kind that he has become a chariot driver of his devotee Arjuna and he is giving his instruction, Bhagavad Gita. Or Krishna is playing in the forest along with his cowherd boys, friends, eating very nicely on the bank of the Yamuna. And some demon came and he is killing. And the boys are, I mean to say, encouraging him with claps. (laughs) This enjoyment is going on. What is the difficulty in remembering Krishna? What for this Krishna book is there? You read it and remember it. Now we might say, all right, well, what happens if I do this? So I'm going to read you. Let's read about a a Shiva worshiper first, and then we're going to read about a Vishnu worshiper. So this is a very famous story. It's from the Praia Purana. It's the story of Puchalar of Ninravur in South India. So he was a Brahmana, and he was very poor. And he had the idea of building a temple where Lord Shiva could live. And at first he wasn't worried about the fact that he didn't have any money. He looked everywhere painstakingly for resources, and he came up with absolutely nothing. This made him very sad. He didn't know what to do. 
So he realized he'd have to build a temple in his mind. He began to collect within his awareness all the resources he would need, from the tiniest bits on up. Mentally, he sought out the carpenters and masons together with their tools and materials. On an auspicious day, he lovingly, attentively laid the foundation in his mind according to the Agamic rules. He worked steadily from the molding above the altar through the many layers and levels of the structure to the crowning tower, he gave it shape and precisely measured form in his mind. He worked thus for many days until the whole edifice was complete as imagined. He put the final dome in place and had everything plastered white. Then he dug a well and a tank all in his mind, built the subsidiary shrines and the outer wall, and having seen to all the necessary details, he set a day for installing a deity of Lord Shiva. As that day came near, the king, who was named Kattavar Koman, in a neighboring town, was busy putting the finishing touches on the great stone temple he had built in Kanchipuram for Shiva at great expenditure. Now you can go visit this temple today. It's a great architectural wonder. On the night before the time that the deity of Lord Shiva was going to be installed, Lord Shiva, adorned with fresh blossoms, appeared in the king's dream and said, I'm sorry, you can't install me tomorrow. I'm going to be busy. I have to enter into the magnificent temple that a certain Puchal from Ninivur, a man who loves me, has thoughtfully built over many days. You'll have to postpone your ceremony for a later date. That's what Lord Shiva said to the king so that all his devotees would know. When the mighty ruler woke up, he had once wanted to see the man who had performed this great act of service and pay his respects to him. So deeply moved, he set off for Ninrivur, which is bordered on all sides by verdant groves. When he arrived, he asked the locals where he could find the temple that the great Puchal has built. They said, we know Puchal, but he hasn't built any temple. The king summoned all the brahmanas of the village. Which one of you is Puchal, he said. Oh, he's a brahmin living in the village. They pointed him out. Oh, he lives over there. The king, even though very talented with his spear, didn't want to have him summoned to him. He didn't want to have the brahmin brought to him. When you're a big guy, you know, you want everyone has to come see you. You don't go see them. But instead, he went to the devotee's home. Seeing him, the king said, so where is this temple you've built? I came because today is the day you're installing the Lord here. That's what Shiva himself told me. I came to see you and to worship you. The Brahmana was utterly bewildered. If our Lord has been so gracious as to consider me of some consequence, it must be because of the temple that lacking in other means, I have built for him in my mind, he said. He told the whole story of how he had thought the temple into existence. Hearing the story, the king was amazed. How great are the devotees whose awareness is without flaw, he said to himself as he fell to the ground, his fragrant garlands mixing in with the earth. Then with his army drums beating, he returned to his capital. At the auspicious moment, Puchal installed Shiva in the temple he had built in his mind. And of course we have a story with which I think most of you are familiar from the Nectar Devotion, chapter 10. Srila Prabhupada talks about how in the city of Pratistapura in South India there was a Brahmin who was not very rich, but he was satisfied. 
he thought, well, I'm not rich because this is my karma, this is my destiny. And one time he went to a Bhagavatam class where he heard that you could worship within the mind. So he thought, well, I'll do that. I'll just meditate on grand royal, royal worship. So he did some pranayam and some asana. And then he began to imagine, Prabhupada's using the word again, what's the word? Imagine. He began to imagine in his meditations that he was dressing the Lord very nicely in costly clothing with ornaments, helmets, and other paraphernalia. Then he offered his respectful obeisances by bowing down before the Lord. This is all in his meditation. After finishing the dressing, he began to imagine. What was the word again? Imagine. That he was cleaning the temple very nicely. After cleansing the temple, he imagined again, third time now, that he had many water jugs made of gold and silver, and he took all those jugs to the river and filled them with holy water. Not only did he collect water from the Godavari, which is where he was sitting, but he collected from the Ganges, Yamuna, Narada, and Kaveri. Generally, a Vaishnava, while worshipping the Lord, collects water from all these mantras, all these rivers by mantra chanting. Do you all know that verse? Gange cha Yamuna Chaiva Godavari Saraswati Narmada Sindhu Kaveri Jalisman Sandhanin Kuru. So when I do my worship, I just say the mantra. Right? I don't get on an airplane and go to India and go to all the rivers and get a pot. But he did this in his meditation. So in his meditation, instead of just chanting the mantra over the water, he actually imagined that he was going to all of the rivers and getting the water. <coughs> this Ramana, instead of chanting some mantra, imagined that he was physically securing water from all these rivers in golden and silver pots. Then he collected all kinds of paraphernalia for worship. Flowers, fruits, incense, and sandalwood pulp. And what kind of flowers do you think he got? Do you think he just got some like scentless roses like we get today from the flower shop? Oh, he must have gotten little parijata flowers, right? And jasmine and gardenias and scented roses. And he wasn't getting, Mars is always talking to me about the garbage incense we offer. He wasn't getting garbage incense that make you sick. You know, he was getting things that were quality. Right? He wasn't getting like some tasteless fruit from the grocery store. Have you ever had real organic local fruit from a tree, the flavor? Right? So this is everything he got was in his mind was first class. Sandalwood pulp, you know the sticks of sandalwood we buy today, has the oils all been extracted? Did you know that? Practically everything we get today is just garbage. And it's, you know, you, you get this sandalwood oil from India, my dear friends, it's not real. There's hardly any real sandalwood oil left in the world today. Like there's hardly any real agru and there's hardly any real frankincense and there's hardly any real anything anymore. So, but he was getting the real deal in his meditation. He collected everything to place before the deity. All these waters, flowers, and scented articles were then very nicely offered to the deities to their satisfaction. Then he offered arti, and with the regulated principles, same as the chorus following the regulated principles, he finished all these activities in the correct worshipping method. He would daily execute similar performances in his routine work, and he continued to do so for many, many years. 
All right, so part of what he did in his meditation is he was cooking. Right? And one of the things he cooked was sweet rice. So sweet rice is supposed to be offered cold. Some things are supposed to be eaten hot, some things cold. And you're supposed to wait. And generally in India, what they did before refrigeration, you'd put the sweet rice in a clay pot, and it would gradually cool. So in his mind, he had done this, and he was wondering, is it cool enough yet? So he went to touch it to see if it was cool enough. And in his meditation, he burnt his finger, which broke his meditation. And when he came out of his meditation, he looked at his finger and saw that his physical finger was burnt, and he was astonished. So at this time, Lord Vishnu and Vaikuntha started to laugh. Actually, Prabhupada in a lecture says that the mood of all the residents of Vrindavan is just to make Krishna smile. That's their perfection. So if the Lord can, can laugh in, in happiness with us. This laughing is very connected, actually, to what we talked about in the beginning, to Vishnu, to wonder. Please don't think that only we love Krishna. Krishna also loves us. Just like that mother was enchanted with her baby's toes, even though they're just toes and every baby has toes. So Krishna is also enchanted with us. So the Lord was just filled with happiness, with comedy, but also there's, like Rupa Goswami says, there's always someone. And he was laughing. And Lakshmi says, oh, what's so funny? Imagine you sit next to someone, all of a sudden they're cracking up. You know, and you're like, what's so funny? And he says, I will show you. And he sends an airplane, a flower Vaikuntha airplane, transcendental airplane, to bring this Brahmana to Vaikuntha where he tells the whole story. So this imagining of the mind is real and accepted. And how does this work? Jiva Goswami says that the Lord enters into our consciousness through the pathway of our meditation. And the acharyas all say that as we meditate on the Lord, that is what we will achieve. What is our meditation? So everything we do can be done with this meditation. And Prabhupada's saying it's not difficult. He was giving this instruction in 1967. He didn't say you have to be practicing Krishna consciousness for 50 years first. It was something he was instructing from the very beginning of the movement. And Prabhupada expect, expected our progress in Krishna consciousness to be rapid. You know, we listened to Prabhupada's lectures and he expected that we weren't going to take lifetimes and lifetimes to become Krishna conscious. But the key, my dear friends, is going through this anarthanivritti. If we don't go through this anarthanivritti, you can chant 190 rounds a day. And, it, you know, you can do all this external work but if it doesn't come to the platform of the consciousness, manmana bhava madbhakta, if it doesn't come to that consciousness, then one doesn't see clearly and one cannot choose. And without that choosing, one will not give up the anarchists. The anarchists are not going to go away without our wanting them to go away. And we're not going to want them to go away unless we see them clearly. We've all had the experience, I'm sure, that we can see somebody's problems clearly, 
And when we point it out to them, they fight us tooth and nail. Who has had that experience? Anybody? Only me? Nobody else? You've never had that experience? I don't believe you for one second. So, you know, we, we see that we're saying, oh my goodness, you have this problem, and it's really a problem. I remember one of my god sisters, someone who used to live here, asked me one time, Ermila, what's my biggest problem? And I'm thinking, oh boy. I said, you don't have any problems. You have no problems. No, no, what's my, she kept pressuring me. I'm such a fool. So I said, well, you don't have any, any big problems, but you might have one, it might be, you might possibly have one little problem. So I told her, oh my goodness, it was a catastrophe. For the next, like, three weeks, you know, she's emailing me and harassing me. How dare you say I have to sorry. Right? So this is the general problem. How are we going to get rid of an anartha if we think it's an artha? Krishna says, ahankara ashritam. We take shelter of our false ego. So we're coming to Krishna, please let me awaken my real self and get rid of my false ego, but I'm, gonna, I'm under the shelter of my false ego. It's my umbrella. Tamashritam, Krishna says. We take shelter. We like our lust. We like our greed. We like our anger. We like our false ego. And the only way we're going to let go of it is to see the naked form of our material desires, to see it clearly, and to see Krishna, and to say, Krishna, I want you so much, and this false ego thing is, ugh, look at it. It's awful. That out of disgust with our attachments and out of simultaneous attraction to Krishna, we will choose rightly. And the moment we actually say, I don't want this. Krishna will immediately remove it. Now that doesn't work if you don't see it clearly. Like we'll all say, yeah, I don't want to be angry anymore. No, I don't want this problem anymore. But we don't really mean it because we're not seeing it. And I always give this example that we're holding it. This, it's a kamashrita. We're holding our inartists. They're, they're my shelter. My anger keeps people from abusing me. My greed keeps me going to work and making money. My, my arrogance makes me feel good about myself. We're holding it. And the clarity is we see I'm holding it. And it's, it's horrible what I'm holding. It's like these people who keep pythons for pets, you know, and the python kills them. And it's in the newspaper, you know. Joe Smith didn't come to work because his python ate him. You know, we're, we're holding these things that are destroying us. And we have to see the nature of the thing, and we have to see that we're holding it. We have to take ownership. Because only if I see that I'm holding it can I let it go. I can't let go of something if I think I'm a victim. Bhakti Siddhanta said, we're holding on to a what? A tree. Right? And we're saying, let me go, let me go, let me go. But I'm holding on to the tree. So I have to take ownership. As long as I'm in a victim mentality, it's all Maya's fault, it's all my mother's fault, she didn't love me enough. No, it's all the GBC's fault. As long as I have a victim mentality, I cannot progress through an art and liberty, and then I stay a mundane religionist. And then I try to get my satisfaction from position and name and whatever one gets satisfaction from. 
I need to see it clearly and I need to see Krishna clearly. And that can only be done if I am attentive. Because only when I am attentive am I actually in the presence of the Lord. The purification that comes before that as a Gatha Sukriti is very small. It's a shadow, it's a reflection. So everything we do, we should be attentive. I mean, it's not that hard. Should I tell you some little thing that I do? So when I don't have somebody to help me clean the bathrooms and I clean them myself, of course I do a daily cleaning, like this morning before Mangalartika I emptied out the dirty diapers from the baskets and flushed the unflushed toilets. So when I'm doing that, I'm, I'm meditating on how I'm helping Srila Prabhupada to make a beautiful area for the Lord. And I sing... At Srila Prabhupada, he is decorating the kunjas for the pastimes of the Lord, and I am helping. Because this whole new Goloka is the place for the pastimes of the Lord. Is that difficult? Is that, is that hard? Oh, one can do that. And if one says, but Ormila, I'm just imagining it. It's not real. You don't know. Some king could come to you someday and say, hey, where's your temple? So what a gift you would probably say. I mean, just who can understand what you would probably say? Shilpa Bhakti Jai, Radhika Nanda K.